Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we continue our series, The Story of David. In our study today, we find that dysfunctional families are not something new. Looking at the story of King David's family, we find some answers to the question, what happens when your home life is a mess? As we look at some characteristics of dysfunctional families, lead pastor David Fossil helps us see how little by little our lives, our families, and our marriages can become so incredibly messed up. Then listen as Pastor Dave gives us some turnaround principles to enhance our families, lives, and marriages and make them stronger and better. Grab the study guide that's in your program. If you have a Bible, First, uh, or Second Samuel, sorry, Second Samuel 13 is where we're going to be. Uh, it was about a month ago. I had a busy morning of, uh, of meetings and, uh, I missed lunch. It must have been 1.30, 2 o'clock. I was hungry. I had a little bit of a window of time. So I, I, I wanted to go home, get a bite to eat. I have a short commute of a three and a half minutes. So I busted home, made myself a sandwich. I decided I'm going to turn on DTV and watch it, whatever's on for 10, 15 minutes, right? And, and then get back, get back to, to, to the office and, and do some more meetings. And when I turn the TV on, this is the show that was on. The Maury Povich show. Now, I have never watched this. Now, I'm embarrassed to say this to you. So let me tell you in advance. I watched the first 30 seconds to a minute, right? And initially, I was entertained. I was like, these people are jacked up. What is wrong with them? They're like first service. You know how first service people can be, right? Like, what is wrong with these people? But I got to tell you, within two minutes, not so funny anymore. At all. You want to know why? It's too real. Too real. Apparently, this is a show that turns family dysfunction and family pain into entertainment. And here's why it's too close to me. Oh, something happened. The Holy Spirit's not moving over here. You see the whole, the light? oh, there we go. I don't know what happened there. I thought someone had sin in their life. Um, sorry, I just digress. You know what? Family dysfunction isn't funny to me. When I know of people and I have friends and I hear of stories of people that are hurting and going through incredibly difficult times because their family is, has issues and has problems and has dysfunction, it's not funny. Now, I mentioned this to you because if you notice in your study guide today, we're going to talk about what happens when your life is a mess, your home life. Um, you know what? The, most churches are going to skip over the chapter that we're going to cover today because it's an ugly, ugly chapter. It's so much easier to just skip over this and just deal with all the fun stories. Let's just talk David and Goliath and all of that, you know. But here's the thing. Samuel 13 is in the Bible and it's meant to challenge us, motivate us and teach us. And in this case, teach us what not to do, because what you're going to discover after about 15 minutes in second Samuel 13 is his life was more dysfunctional than any family you've ever seen on the Maury Povich or the Jerry Springer show. It was messed up, messed up. And you almost wonder, David, how did it get to that point? How did your family become so incredibly messed up and dysfunctional? And all I can think about, have you ever heard in the textbooks, it's referred to as the frog in the kettle experiment. We would refer to it as the frog in the frying pan. Have you ever heard that experiment? It's this idea that you could take a frog, drop it in a pot of boiling water. 
And as soon as that frog feels the boiling water, he basically goes ouch and jumps out because he doesn't want to experience the pain. But if you take that same frog, put that frog in a cold pan of water, then you take that pan, put it on the stove and little by little increase the heat of the water one temperature at a time. That frog will literally sit in that pan and literally boil to death. Now, just a side note, I don't know who the sicko was that came up with this experiment, right? How does your mind work to come up with this? But you know what? I think a lot of us do that in life and in family. We're, we're the frog that gets put in the cold pan of water and problems, issues, and dysfunctions don't just get thrown on us all at once. It's little by little, issue by issue, dysfunction by dysfunction, just a little bit of change, little by little. And before you know it, our lives, our marriages, our families are shriveled up and boiling because they are so incredibly messed up and dysfunctional. And so what I want to do this morning, I got to tell you, the first 10 to 15 minutes, not so fun for me and not so fun for us. But I want to show you the reality of Second Samuel 13. And someone say, well, why, why no notes on the front page of, of the study guide? Because there's so many dysfunctions. I, I didn't have enough blanks. There's literally 12 to 15 characteristics of dysfunctional family. So you write down whatever you want to write down and you're going to, if you're honest, you'll recognize some of them in your family or a form of them. Okay. So we're going to jump into that. And then on the backside, of course, I'm not going to leave us there. And we're going to talk about some turnaround principles and how to in- enhance our families, enhance our marriages and-, and make them stronger and better. But second Samuel 13 starts out and it jumps right into the passage, right in this story. Immediately, there's a hint that something's wrong. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, also the son of David. So it's his sister. Now, it's one thing for me to say, I love my sister, Becky, right? She's a missionary in Ireland. I love my sister. For someone to say, I'm in love with my sister, suggests and implies something altogether different. So right away, there's a little bit of a red flag that comes up and goes, did he misspeak or how did he say this? Because this doesn't sound right. And verse two confirms that there's a problem. Because in verse two, here's what we read. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Notice it doesn't say with her, right? To her. So immediately you discover that the first sign of dysfunction going on in this family is incredibly inappropriate, incredibly unhealthy feelings that Amnon should be suppressing, but instead he ends up encouraging. What, what he's feeling is sexual feelings toward his sister. Acted out, it's what you and I refer to as incense. In, incest, incredibly wrong, incredibly wicked, incredibly sick, sinful. First characteristic, feelings that should be suppressed that are encouraged, done nothing about. Verse 3 continues on in the story, and here's what we read. Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shimeah, David's brother. So it was his uncle. His uncle was his advisor. Jonadab was very, was a very shrewd man. And he asked Amnon, his nephew, well, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard, discouraged, depressed, bummed out morning after morning? You're the king's son. You should be up. You should have all the privileges as possible. Why do you look so discouraged? What's wrong? Answer. Won't you tell me, Amnon said to him, well, I'm in love with Tamar. 
my brother Absalom's sister. Now, let me explain to you what's going on here. It's the second time in a couple verses that she is referred to as Absalom's sister. This is their version of a blended family. Here's what's happening. David has had multiple children with many different women and wives. Okay. Um, and so what is happening here is that Amnon and Tamar are half brother, half sister. They have the same dad, but different moms. Okay. Now let me very, very quickly say, because I don't want to suggest this blended families does not suggest, does not imply that you have to have a dysfunctional family. Does that make sense? Blended families does not automatically mean dysfunctional families. Um, a blended family is when you have a new family unit, but before that family unit was created, you know, the, 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 the dad was married over here and had a couple kids and maybe, maybe she was married as well, maybe not. And she had a couple kids and then they come together and they form, they form a, a new family unit that we refer to that as a blended family. Those families can still be very healthy, but let's also speak the truth. What happened behind the scenes what happened years prior, whatever happened with this relationship family over here and why they broke up and what happened, whatever happened over here, that can certainly be dysfunctional. And whether we like it or not, we bring some of that baggage into our new family unit. And if not dealt with, it can create some issues, which is exactly what happens here. Dysfunction number one is inappropriate feelings. And very quickly, we see it moves on. Verse five, let's put it up on the screen. Here's the advice that has given to him. Here's what you're going to do. Go to bed, pretend to have the flu. Just pretend, right? Jehonabed said, then your father will come to see you. Say to your dad, to King David, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I can watch her and then eat it from her hand. You have to pretend you're so sick you can't even feed yourself. Ask for your half-sister to make you some so a sandwich and some soup. Then ask that she feed you. So Amnon, lay down and pretend to be ill. Second characteristic of dysfunctional families is when there begins to be deceit, when there begins to be deception. When there's lying, when there's half truths between husband and wife, when there's not complete truths between parents and kids, when kids lie to their parents, anytime there's any kind of deception, anytime there's any desire to deceive, right? You need to understand that you are adding dysfunction to your family life. Don't forget that our enemy is referred to as the father of lies. So anytime you try and suggest to someone else something that is untrue, you are allowing his influence in your life and in your family and adding to the dysfunction. Unfortunately, it gets bad real quick. Verse six, here's what we read. Tamar took the bread that she had prepared. She brought it to her brother Amnon in bed. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother. She said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. This is the moment when some of us want the pastor to quickly move on to the next point, because in our past, if anything near to this has happened, depending on how it's brought up, it can be still very hurtful, very painful, and it can sting. But as your pastor that cares for you, before I move on, let me speak truth into your life. If something like this has happened to you in the past, you need to know that you can heal. You can heal. With the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, with the, with the encouragement from a staff member, from a pastor here at your church, 
from the encouragement of a friend, from the counsel of a, of a trained therapist, you can heal. You can heal. You can move forward. Let me say one more thing. I do not want to be so naive to think that in a church with 2,500 people on the books, um, this may not be the case. So I need to say it, and I hope you'll allow me as the pastor to speak truth. If this is happening to you, come get our help. We will help you. We will help you. You, you grab us after the service, send us an email. If you don't want to come to us, go to someone else, but get help. For whatever reason, therapists tell us that people that are abused feel it's their fault and they feel ashamed and they want to keep it a secret. And I understand that, but I'm telling you, it's not your fault and we will help you. Okay. Flip side of the coin. If you're doing this, we will also help you, but you need to stop. You need to stop. This is not good. It is wrong. And it is completely against God's standards for human sexuality. Let's move on. The next verse, very different, but still very hurtful. Tamar is speaking and she says, please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being, uh, he will not keep me from being married to you. I'll explain what's going on here. But he refused to listen to her. Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he loved her. The first verse told her he loved her so much he was getting sick. He was obsessed with her. Now, it's interesting how sex changes the relationship. It's one of the reasons God wants to, 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 to set as a standard sex is meant for husband and wife in the context of marriage. In the context of dating, don't be surprised if something like this happens because it changes the relationship, okay? Uh, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be greater wrong than what you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, notice, get, and he doesn't refer to her by name anymore. Get this woman, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. Now, let me explain to you what is happening here in that culture. In that day, it is, it is considered to be acceptable, though not encouraged acceptable but not encouraged you can marry a half half sister half brother or a cousin and so what she's saying to him is in this culture uh, i am no longer a virgin everyone's going to know this and a man is not going to want to take me into his house as a wife anymore so now you have to do that that was acceptable the king will allow this and he's like i don't think so girl it's time for you to leave And she experiences tremendous emotional abuse and verbal abuse. Again, I am not a trained therapist, but I am told that verbal abuse can be as destructive as any other kind of abuse. You talk to grown men and grown women that still get a tear in their eye because they remember something mom and dad said to them 25 years ago. Be very, very careful how you speak to your children because it can sting for years and years to come. It goes from sexual abuse to emotional abuse to verbal abuse, and it goes on. We'll skip a couple verses. Let's put the next slide up there. Tamar put ashes on her head, tore the ornate robe that she was wearing. This is a way of saying, I'm discouraged, I'm depressed, I'm bummed out. That was their way of doing that. She put her hands on her head, went away, weeping aloud as she went. Who can blame her, right? Uh, Her brother, Absalom, bumps into her and says to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Did he have sex with you? Watch the advice that he gives his sister. Be quiet for now, my sister. He's your brother. 
don't, don't take this thing to heart. Let's just keep it in the family. Don't tell anyone. We don't want to mess up the family. Let's, let's just forget it ever happened. Really, this is where we're going to go? Just bury it? It reminds me, and I've told you this before, it reminds me of what's still happening today in Europe, especially France. They are finding bombs from World War II on the beaches of France unexploded. People are going to the beach with their family, want to have some fun. They find these bombs. They think, oh my God, look what we found. The wiring is corroded, but it's still active. And still today, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people die because those bombs blow up in their hands. If you bury this kind of conflict, if you bury this kind of issue in your life, I promise you, I'm warning you, it's going to come up somewhere later in your life and it's going to blow up. Don't do this. Another sign of dysfunctional families is we don't deal with conflict. Let's just forget it ever happened. That's not the wise thing to do. Oh, no, I get that it's embarrassing. I get that I get that it might feel awkward and uncomfortable, but you still can deal with it. You still need to deal with it. You still need to try and fix it. Now, if you choose to do this, the, the next conflict, the next issue is obvious. Let me show you what I mean. Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. Who can blame her, right? She's depressed beyond belief. Her half-brother rapes her. Her other brother says, let's not deal with it. She's just depressed beyond belief. Again, if something this bad happens to you, if something this wicked happens to you, every right to feel sad, every right to feel broken. But again, I'm here to remind you, you can heal. You can bounce back right? May not happen over time, uh, but you don't have to stay here. Okay. Verse 20 moves on. And a couple things happen here that catch my attention. Let's put the next verse up there. When King David, as in dad heard about this, he was furious. Now my problem with this verse is what's not here. It stops. There's no other reference of dad anymore. And one of the signs of dysfunctional family life is that what I, I'm calling it unbalanced parenting. It's not good parenting. Let me give you five types of unbalanced parenting. Let me show you. Let's put it on the screen. Overprotective parent. See if you can recognize any of these parenting styles. If you grew up in this kind of home or you're this kind of parent. The overprotective parent is keeps their, their kids safe, 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 safe. But whether they don't realize it, they're also suffocating their child. The authoritarian parenting this is Attila the Hun style of parenting. My way or the by or the highway, right? It's always what I say. It's always what I do. I'm king of my castle, right? I'm queen of my home, right? It's always my way. The uninvolved parent says this a lot. Can, can, can you just let me be? Can't you see I'm working? Sorry, I'm not going to be able to make it to your whatever. I, I, I got, I'm going golfing. I'm heading to the Niner Raider game or whatever it is. They're never involved in their lives of their kids, right? The perfectionist parent. This is the kid. This is the parent that always finds something wrong. They can get straight A's, one A minus, and that's what they're going to focus on. Why is it an A minus? They can be a wonderful athlete, but they're going to notice, hey, you got four out of five hits. But what about that one time you didn't get a hit? Why did you strike out? And you can never do enough. You can never be good enough. They'll always find something. And then David, the last one, the passive parent, no boundaries. 
no consequences, just wimps out. He got angry and that's it. Now, I understand they're grown adults and you've got to parent grown kids differently than you parent a 10 year old. I get that. But he's still king. He's still dad. He's still paying the bills. They're still living in the castle. You have every right to set boundaries and to give consequences. He does nothing. And a characteristic of dysfunctional families is the parenting is all out of whack. It's all out of whack. You know, can you see every half verse? There's another issue. Let me give you the next one. Let's put the next one up there. Unhealthy communication. Absalom never said another word to Amnon, his brother, either good or bad. So he's upset at his brother because what he did to his sister, they don't talk anymore. Let me ask you a question. How, How do you guys talk to one another at home? How do you talk to one another in the car? How do you talk to one another in the living room? As in when the pastor's not around, when the friends aren't around, just the, just the family. How do you guys talk to one another? Because unhealthy communication is a sign of a dysfunctional family. I'm just curious. How did the Thanksgiving dinner go at their home? You have to do, go through all these loops about who sits where because we can't put the, put the brothers next to each other because they won't talk to each other and then it's going to be a mess. So who passes the mashed potatoes because he won't talk to this person, got to talk across the table. I mean, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. Unhealthy communication just adds to the dysfunction. The second part of this verse says this, Absalom never said a word uh, to Amnon, neither good nor bad. He hated his brother Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. Another dysfunction, bitterness and unforgiveness. Now, let me be clear. If someone hurts you, if someone sins against you, if someone does something wicked to you or someone else, you have every right to be upset. Every right to have what I would call righteous anger. In fact, that's normal. But you do not have a right to choose not to forgive them. You don't have that right as a Christ follower. In fact, you will perpetuate the dysfunction. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's a story called, or a parable called, the unmerciful or unforgiving servant. And in that story, Jesus makes four points. Here's what he says. I'm going to give you a command. You must forgive. Then he's going to give us a reason why you should forgive. Because in comparison, God has forgiven you so much more. It doesn't mean that what the person did was, wasn't bad. No, what they did was really bad to you. But in comparison, God has forgiven so much more garbage to you. That's why you need to forgive. The clarification is that even if you forgive, boundaries and consequences are okay. So what's the boundary and consequence here? The boundary and consequence would be we're going to forgive Amnon for what he did, but Tamar never be alone with Amnon ever again. That's the boundary, right? You don't just go back and hit rest, reset button and go back to normal. No, that's not what forgiveness means. Now, if you choose not to forgive someone in your family, here's what you get. God won't forgive you anymore. You see, choosing not to forgive is not an option for us. It actually makes it worse for you it makes it worse for you let's look let's add a couple more let's put the next one up there let's add a little bit of substance abuse huh see what happens here watch this two years later i could stop right there they go on for two years and don't deal with the issues two years they don't talk to each other it just it just perpetuates watch two years absalom's sheep Shears were at Bez Hazor near the border of Ephraim. They invited all the king's sons, sons to come here. Let's have a picnic. Let's have a barbecue. Let's get the whole family together. Oh my goodness. Oh snap. Maybe things are going to go back to normal. 
Get the brothers together, right? Not so quick. Watch what happens. Absalom ordered his men. Listen, when my brother Amnon is, is in high spirits from drinking wine. This is another way of saying drunk, plastered, wasted, lit, sloshed, tanked, three sheets under the wind, blitz, bombs, snurfed up, tanked, whiskey, frisky, or zonked. How does the pastor so know so many names for drunk? That's not right. Any kind of substance abuse. Any kind of substance abuse. Whether they know about it or not. Smoke some pot. Abuse prescription drugs. Abuse and take illegal drugs. Let's add a little bit of alcoholism. Any one of those, you just multiplied the dysfunction in your family. Just multiplied it. Uh, you know, and I realize it's so much easier to be the kind of church that where the pastor just stands up here and says it's sin to drink any alcohol. The problem is the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says you can have a glass of wine or a beer. The question is, are you the kind of person that has a glass of wine or two, a beer or two, or are you drinking a couple bottles? Are you having a six pack? Are you the kind of person that can't stop? And, and when you go, I mean, you go hard, right? Well, I'm not the designated driver. The problem is, as I've looked in that, that word isn't in here. There's no designated driver in the Bible. It says you always need to be in con- under control. And so you had substance abuse here. So there's one more and it ends about as bad as it could end. I told you it was going to be worse than the Jerry Springer and Maury Povich show. This is how it ends. Absalom ordered his men. Listen, when Abnon is high in spirits from drinking wine, I say to you, strike my brother Amnon down and kill him. Kill him. Which is exactly what happens. That's what happens. I'm kind of done. I'm depressed with this chapter. You get the point. It's pretty dysfunctional, don't you think? Don't you think that this is what we've learned so far? Let's put it up on the screen. I, I would say with all of this mess, King David has a pretty dysfunctional family life. Now, here are the two extremes when you look at this at the screen. Some of us will look at that and go, thank goodness today's sermon isn't about me. I sure hope so-and-so showed up for first service because they're all jacked up. Right? Today's not about me. The other extreme is to look at that screen and to be a little bit discouraged because you're looking at it and you're going, you know, I, I got six or seven of those. There's no hope for me. Here's the balance. Here's the big picture. You want the big picture? We're all dysfunctional. Every single one of us is dysfunctional. Every single one of us has issues. Every single one of us has problems. You know why I know that? Because the Bible tells me. Because God tells me. First John 1 John 1.8 If you claim to be without sin, if you claim not to have problems, if you claim not to have issues, if you claim not to be dysfunctional, you're just deceiving yourself and the truth isn't in you. You're just playing games. Oh, we all have different issues, but we all have some issue. Verse 10 says the same thing. If you claim you have not sinned, you make God out to be a liar and his word is not in you. The big picture is we are all dysfunctional. 
But we all have hope. We all have hope. Thank goodness for verse 9. Let me show you what verse 9 is. If we confess our sins, if you admit dysfunction, if you agree with the fact that you have issues and problems like everyone else has some issue and problem, God's going to be faithful and just to you. He's going to forgive you and he's going to purify you. Is that good news? That's good news. We all have dysfunctions, but he can fix us. See, some of us still have issue with this. I went to our Celebrate Recovery meeting. Uh, they meet every every week. And if you want to get into that, we want to encourage you. But a lot of times they'll start. I mean, whoever stands up says, my name is David and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. They didn't tell their story. Or an AA meeting. If you've ever been to an AA meeting or maybe you see it on TV, how do they start? My name is David and I'm an alcoholic. So before I give you some turnaround principles, I, I need you to really practice this. I need you to turn to the person next to you and I need you to say, my name is David. Now, don't use my name because that'll make me feel very uncomfortable, right? You got to use your name. My name is David and I'm dysfunctional. Go ahead and do that real quick. Let's move on. Come on, do that real quick. Turn to the person next to you. Don't just look them in the eye. Tell them. Admit it. Okay, now some of you are arguing with the person next to you. Don't argue with them, right? You're trying to prove to them they're more dysfunctional than they were. We're all got some issue. Don't be that person. And if you don't think you have issues, if you don't think you're not dysfunctional or problems and sin in your life, please find another church because we will corrupt you. Okay? We all have issues at this church. Okay? Okay, turn the backside. I'm not going to leave you with the depressing chapter 13. Let me give you some turnaround principles. You guys ready? Okay, number one is develop good parenting skills. Work on your parenting skills. You guys realize this, right? You have to parent a kid that's in the nursery different than you have to parent a kid that's in elementary and you parent them differently than when they're in junior high and parent them differently when they're in senior high and parent them differently when they move out of the house. It's all different styles. You've got to grow in your parenting and you've got to adapt in your parenting. You've got to learn some skills just because you have a kid doesn't automatically make you a good parent. Does that make sense? Now, I, I don't I don't have time for a lot other than to say, pick up a book. Pastor Nate, our children's pastor, has got suggested books. You want email me? I'll give you three or four that I've read, right? That, 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 that'll be helpful to you. But look at this verse, Proverbs nineteen eighteen. Discipline your children while there's hope. Implication, if you don't, you're going to get to the point of no hope. Discipline your children while there's still hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. If you choose not to do this as a parent, if you choose not to help them understand boundaries, if you choose not to help them understand consequences, you will literally ruin their lives, right? Here's what you need to understand about discipline. Every one of our kids at some point in time is a brat. Do you know why we know that, right? Some of them a little bit more than others, you know what I mean, right? It's because every kid has sin in their life. And my job as a parent is to try and curb that to get them on the right path, the path of righteousness. That's the point. And what I want to show you right now, real quick, is a lot of parents confuse discipline and punishment. Discipline and punishment. This little, I, by the way, don't try and copy it down. We will email it to you. I think it's on the website right now. Let me show you the difference between punishment and discipline. The attitude of punishment is, is anger. Have you ever done this? Why are you doing that? Why are you yelling? Right? Chill out a little bit, right? The attitude of punishment is anger. The attitude of discipline is love. 
okay, so let me help you understand why what you did was not right and why it's not helpful to the family or it's not uh, good for school and, or why, and why I don't want you to do that again. And we talked about that. And so because of what you did, uh, remember we talked about the consequence. And so we're going to give you that consequence now. I want to make sure that you understand that. I want to make sure that you know that mom and dad love you, but understand that this is what we're going to do. You see the difference? Yelling at a kid versus explaining the kid, right? Of what's happening and why do you approach it that way? Why? Because the focus on punishment is the past. What you screwed up on the past. The point of discipline is to help them in the future. And you're basing it upon, I don't want you to do this again. This is not good for you. It's not good for your soul. It's not good for relationships. I don't want you to do this. I want you going forward to be a different person. The focus is completely different. Punishment, because you did that in the past, I'm going to get you. Discipline is because you did that in the past. I'm going to set something in place to help you in the future. It's a completely different focus. The purpose of punishment is penalty. The purpose of discipline is growth. Trying to help you grow as a young man, as a young woman. The result of punishment is fear. Has this, have you ever seen a parent and they got their kid right next to them? They're talking to their kid and they, and they move their arms quickly and the kid goes like this. You ever seen that? You ever seen that? That's not good. There's a, there's a healthy fear of mom and dad. You remember when mom would say, just wait till your dad comes home. There's, some, there's a measure of healthy fear towards your parents. It, it, it overlaps with respect. But the kind of fear that makes you flinch is not good. It's not good. Uh, the, the result of discipline is security. It's interesting. Counselors and therapists say that if you give discipline properly, it actually makes your child more secure, more confident in themselves. Punishment tends to be too harsh. Discipline always has limits. Self-esteem under punishment destroys. Discipline strengthens. I got to tell you, this is something that Sandy and I have worked on. And by the way, what you dis- how you discipline one kid is completely different than how you discipline another kid. You know why? Because they're different. Don't discipline equally. Discipline uniquely. Right? Because each kid is unique. You got to really think this through and you got to really process this. It's just one little aspect of parenting, discipline, punishment. And it's difficult. I, I heard of one parents, they were struggling. Their kid was always misbehaving in the backseat. And this is what they came up with for, for punishment and discipline. Let's put it up there. I don't uh, suggest this. Um, not good discipline. But uh, I think you get my point. Okay, let's move on. Point number two. <laughs> I'm just having fun, by the way, guys. Uh, break unhealthy family cycles. I could spend the whole time here, but I can't. I'm already... 55 seconds over. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind. You must not bow down to them or worship them. That's one of the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments. What's interesting to me is we never read the second part. Oh, we don't like the second part. Let me show you the second part. I will, this is God speaking, I will lay the sins of the parents upon their children. I could have given you a half a dozen verses in the Old Testament that say, God speaking, I will, I will discipline the kids for the sins of the parents. Well, that doesn't seem fair. If they were the ones that messed up, why should I be punished? I will lay the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. Your grandkids will pay for your sins. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. What's happening here? It's a principle we all know and we all live. Here it is. Left to myself. Left to myself. I will end up behaving and being just like my parents. 
left to myself, I will end up behaving just like my parents. Have you ever noticed this about yourself? You laugh like your parents laugh. You use phrases that your parents used. You do, you do life and vacations and habits just like they did. And left to ourselves, we end up just behaving just like they did. And if you're honest, you end up struggling with the exact same sins. Here's what we see in life all the time. If my dad was a drunk, I'm going to struggle with alcohol. If when there was an argument and a problem at home and there was cussing and yelling and screaming, that's probably how I'm going to deal with my anger. We just talked about it. Parenting. Every study shows our parenting style tends to be exactly how our parents parented us. Even if we knew it was dysfunctional and wrong. We just perpetuate what we went through. Right. But here's what you need to understand. It's a it's a principle, not a formula. It isn't automatic every time you can change your family life in the past. You don't have to perpetuate it on. By the way, if you don't change the cycle, you will pass it on to your kids. And because you pass it on to the kids, they will sin just like you sin. Same areas. And that's what they're going to pay for. And if you don't change it, there's a good chance you will pass it on to your grandkids. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can change it. Let me give you a fun little illustration. I think it'll make make sense. We'll move on. All of my kids, Joshua, Jessica, Julia, were all they're all Golden State Warrior fans. You want to know why? Because I'm a Golden State Warrior fan. Joshua, Jessica and Julia, they they are all Oakland Raider fans. You want to know why? Because I'm a, a Raider fan. My kids, Joshua, Jessica, and Julia, are all FC Barcelona soccer fans. You want to know why? Because I am an FC Barcelona soccer fan. We tend to perpetuate what our parents like and do. But it's, it's a principle, not a formula. Check this out. My son is a Chicago Cub fan. My daughter, Jessica, is a Chicago Cub fan. But my daughter, Julia, is an avowed San Francisco Giants fan because you have corrupted her and I don't like that. It's a fun little illustration, but it makes sense, doesn't it? You don't have to be like mom and dad. You can pick and choose. Could I give you an exercise that if you do it can revolutionize your family? You want to ready for it? Here it comes. Have the maturity to look into your family life to mom and dad. And I love mom and dad, Right. What is it about their life? What is it about their family? What good things do I want to imitate? What bad things do I want to eliminate? What good things do I want to imitate? What bad things do I want to eliminate? You want to change your family? Have the courage to talk about it, husband and wife, and don't get defensive. I don't, why do we get so defensive? Let's talk about your family. Let's talk about my family. Let's get the best of both families and perpetuate that. And let's take the not so healthy, the dysfunctional, the sinful habits, and let's stop it. Don't pass it on to your kids. Don't pass it on to your grandkids. Have the maturity to know you don't have to do what your parents did. Okay? Okay, let's move on. Number three, always work on your marriage. Always work on your marriage, I heard of this therapist, this uh, tribe, sorry, nutritionist that was having a seminar on food and, and they were saying 
You don't want to put red meat in your body. It's incredibly healthy. You don't want to put fried food in your body. It's incredibly healthy, uh, unhealthy. You don't want to put sugars from soda in your body. It's incredibly unhealthy. You don't want to eat a lot of Chinese food with MSG because it's incredibly unhealthy. But there's one food that causes the most grief and the most suffering in your body for years to come. Does anyone know what it is? And a 75-year-old man in the front row stood up and said, it's wedding cake, isn't it? Wedding cake, huh? And the answer is it could. It could. You want to tell you, want me to tell you one of the biggest mistakes that we make when we get married? We believe the Beatles when they sing, all you need is love. It's a great song, but it's horrible advice. You want a good marriage? Yeah, yeah, you need some love, but you need a whole lot of work. It's like doing maintenance on a car. Don't change the oil in your car and what happens to it. It falls apart. And your marriage is far more complex it's far more complex. In, in November, we have a marriage event that Jonathan and his team are trying to put together. Uh, and it's on a Saturday. You know what? I, I know you're busy. I know you'd prefer to stay home. And I hope you have a little fun. But we're trying to do it to build your marriage. If you don't want to go to that, pick up a book. If you don't want to go to that, go to a conference. But I'm telling you, if you treat your marriage like a Duraflame log, you put it in and just assume it's going to burn forever. One day you will w- wake up and the flame will be gone. And by then it's too late. Work at your marriage. Work at your marriage. It's worth working at. It can be awesome or it can be incredibly difficult. Okay. Point number four. I don't know what happened. I lost the slide. Write this down. Check your words. Check your words. Verse six, James chapter three. Let me read it to you. The tongue or your words are a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of their life on fire. And I would add including your family life. If you don't talk kindly, if you talk abrasively and aggressively to your kids, to your spouse, it's going to hurt your family life. So just like we talked about with family cycles, what bad things do I have to eliminate in how I talk? What bad habits do I have to eliminate? Flip side of the coin, what good things do I have to do more of? I have to do be more encouraging I have to be more complimentary, right, of my kids and I spouse. I actually came across this list. You guys want to hear a list? Top compliments wives like to hear. Would you like to hear this, guys? Top compliments wives like to hear. By the way, wives, if your husband says this, one of these to you this week, don't say, well, you're just saying it because the pastor told you to. (laughs) Of course they are. They're listening to the sermon and they're trying to apply it. Okay, here we go. Top compliments wives like to hear. Number one, I love that you're smart and smell good. Number two, you look fantastic. Number three, I could talk to you all night. <laughs> number, number four, you are a fantastic mother and wife. I can tell you from experience, this one works. I'm not making it up. I've got a, a great wife that also happens to be a great mom. That's good. A good compliment. Uh, number five, marrying you was the best thing I ever did. And number six, I love it that you have all your teeth. So whatever you say to... <laughs> that was more for first service. Uh, uh, whatever you say, learn to be complimentary of your, of your children and of your spouses, okay? Last one. Let me wrap it up. I'm a little bit over, but this is the most important one. Let's put it up there. Number five. Most of all, whatever you do, 
work on your heart. I can give you all these little tricks. I can give you all these suggestions. I can give you all these biblical principles. But there's one principle. If you don't get, it's not going to matter. You got to work on your heart. And when I talk about that, I'm, I'm talking spiritually. Bible talks about two things you need to do to your heart. You need to get a heart transplant and you need to have heart exercises. Let me explain to you what I mean. It's not complicated, but it's very important. God is speaking in Ezekiel. Uh, and, and he talks about a heart transplant that we all need. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. You know, that one that causes all that dysfunction in your life. I'm going to get rid of that for you. And I'm going to give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees. This is what the New Testament refers to as being born again. It's what we do when we embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And here's the thing. If you've popped into church every once in a while, you know intellectually. But I want to ask you, have you committed in your heart to Christ as Lord? And it, it's, it's three very simple steps to, to confess your sin to admit who Jesus was and what he did for you on the cross and to invite him into your life. That's it. To confess your sin, to admit who Jesus was and what he did on the cross and to invite him into your life. There's going to be some people that miss out on heaven by 16 inches, the distance between their head and their heart. They knew it all and they never made that decision. I'm telling you now, in three minutes when I close, I want to give you that opportunity. Don't let this Sunday go by if you've never made that decision. Everything else you try and work on in your dysfunctional life and family, it won't work. Other things will pop up if you don't get a spiritual heart transplant. Now, for most of you who have already done that, I did this when I was five years old in the backseat of my parents' car. Many of us have already done this. Why do I keep having issues? Well, it's because maybe we aren't applying some heart exercises let me show you what i mean luke chapter 6 jesus is speaking he says the mouth speaks what the heart is full of so if you're saying things that are not healthy it's because your ha- your heart isn't healthy if you're doing things that aren't healthy it's because your heart isn't healthy if you have certain attitudes that are not healthy and dysfunctional it's because your heart is not healthy see what you put into your heart is what's going to come out of your life. And I'm going to give you a very simple suggestion. It's called having a daily devotional life. It's you spending a minimum of five to seven minutes reading scripture and a minimum of three to four minutes talking to God. It's called a daily devotional life. And I I, I lost it. I was going to show you what I meant, but I'm going to flip out as your pastor. I've been seeing it for the last month, but on that name tab counter, there are stacks of what's called daily bread. You know what a daily bread is? It's a little booklet that gives you a three to four minute devotional. Please don't make me throw those away because they expire. Pick one up. It's a four minute devotional. It gets you going. And here's what it does. It makes your heart healthy. It makes your heart healthy. It gives you exercises. And so different things start coming from you. I'm going to have the team come up. And as the the worship team is coming up, let me read to you. I don't have a summary slide. Let me read to you. The five principles. What's your takeaway? Listen carefully. I'm going to work on parenting skills. Number one, I'm going to intentionally break unhealthy family cycles. Number two, I'm going to work on my marriage. I'm going to do something different and work on my marriage. Number four, I'm going to check my words. 
I'm saying too many negative and not too enough positive. Or number five, I'm going to work on my heart. Parenting skills, family cycles, marriage, my communication in words, my heart. Let's pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want you to take just a couple moments. I want you to reflect on what you've heard. And I want you to make a decision. What are you going to do differently to turn around whatever dysfunction you have in your family? What are you going to do? Take a couple moments, think that through. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here today and you've never embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never got that heart transplant and you want to, I want to invite you to do what six people did in the first service. I want you to pray this prayer in your heart to God. Dear God, I confess my sin. I know I have issues. I know I have problems. I know I've got dysfunctions in my life. I've been reminded this morning that we all do. I'm especially aware of my sin. And this morning I confess it and I repent of that sin. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus was God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he proved himself to be God by coming back from the dead. I don't know why I've just believed that intellectually and not taken the last step to embrace you in my soul. But I want to do that this morning. I'm asking you that you give me a heart transplant. I'm asking you to give me your son, Jesus Christ, to give me a brand new spirit, to change me, to transform me, to renew me and make me the kind of person you want me to be. I do that as best as I know how, how with all my heart, with all my will this morning. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, like the six people this morning, slip your hand up real quick so I can see it. Just slip it up wherever you are. I see that hand in the back, those two hands in the back, in the front. Anyone else? Three, four hands. Many hands now going on. Anyone else? Just slip your hand up real quick. Heavenly Father, for whoever made that decision right now, raise their hand, made that decision to get a heart transplant, remind them that you rejoice with them this morning. Remind them to be disciplined now to take the next steps to grow in their faith journey. Father, as we conclude our time right now, bless our families. Encourage our marriages. Restore relationships between kids and parents. Heal relationships between brothers and sisters and siblings that are now grown up and still have grudges from the past. Father, Make us strong in our family life. Thank you so much for your word and how practical and how helpful it is. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.